So yeah, yeah. basically her question was, um, is there, like, tell me about a time that you've had a reasonable complaint or an unreasonable complaint, and how do you handle a guest when they come to you with something that's unreasonable? Um, and, of course, that goes against everything that we as hospitality professionals believe in because every person who has an issue is a valid issue. You just drink some tea to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I like to introduce our, our first guest speaker in our lecture series. So how, how this will work is you guys, we'll, we'll let Kyle talk a little bit about his uh, pathway and we just found that his first hotel was actually my very last hotel. So we're connected, we're connected, so that's kind of cool, right? Um, so basically uh, uh, how it will work is we'll let Kyle talk a little bit about his experiences and um, you know, trends that he's starting to notice and, you know, anything that he can share to be successful in our industry. Um, and then we'll open up the floor for Q&A and I know you guys did some thoughtful research. He um, has said that uh, several of you have joined his LinkedIn profile, which is awesome. Thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. Uh, and then we'll talk about some of the questions from the research that you did. Um, we'll just have a little Q&A. I'm sure he'll be okay if you have a question that comes up that you want to ask him during the lecture. Um, you know, please feel free you know, to raise your hands and just ask. Um, however, so uh, Kyle is the front office manager at the Drake um, in downtown Chicago, that beautiful hotel along that curve. I'm sure you guys have all seen it. Um, so he manages the front office operations, um, which is a really tough job in the city and it has 535 rooms so the thing that I think is so unique that will set Kyle up for success for his future is the fact that he not only manages non-union employees but he also manages union employees and that's a really really big deal to be able to have that experience in union and non-union will well, absolutely, I mean, obviously, Kyle will be successful no matter what, but, but it'll help him in his um, adventures down the road, right? Um, so he's worked with primarily Hilton Portfolios. Um, so he is a twin, which I think is kind of cool. Identical or fraternal? Identical. Oh, is he in the hotel industry too? So he's moving back from Milwaukee to Chicago today, actually, and he will be pre-opening barista at the world's largest Starbucks in downtown Chicago. Oh, very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so when you go to that Starbucks and you think it's Kyle, it's, it's not. <laughs> it's not Just a couple blocks away, come and find me at the hotel. Okay. <laughs> what is his name? His name's Chris. Chris. Okay, so it's Chris, not Kyle. Okay. Um, he is also a musician. So, sing? 
Uh, I played bass. <laughs> okay, so without further ado, I'd like to introduce Kyle Allison. So thank you guys so much for welcoming me to your class in the true hospitality spirit and for Professor Leone and Rachel for having me here. Um, if at any point you guys cannot hear me, let me know because I'm used to my public speaking being in the back office of a hotel, so it's a little different for me. Um, would it surprise you guys to know that 85% of your career success comes from your soft skills? and only 15% from your hard skills. Does anybody know what those two things are? Anybody ever heard of those? Yes, sir. Uh, would soft skills be more like people skills and personal skills and hard skills be more like computer science or like accounting? That's absolutely correct. Yeah, your soft skills are your, you know, intangibles like empathy, building relationships, um, flexibility, things along those lines, whereas your hard skills are your competencies, your technical know-how. Um, and this was actually a study conducted by Harvard over a hundred years ago, but why haven't we heard anything about it? And even now, I don't think we, we really do enough with it. Me personally, I attribute 100% of my career success to my soft skills. I, you know, I, I did go to college for a brief time, did not complete school, um, but I've worked in hotels. It was my first ever job was at the front desk of Indian Lakes Resort in Bloomingdale where Professor Leone was uh, the hotel manager there. Um, I started there when I was 17 years old with zero career experience, um, and my personal mentor, his name's Greg, he basically said, you know, I see something in you, you're 17, and, you know, I'm just going to take a chance on you. And it was his first time being a department head for a hotel, my first time ever working at a hotel or having a job. So he hired me, um, and I worked behind the front desk for about eight months. Um, and really kind of started to emerge as a leader on the team. Um, and within that time, I was promoted to front office supervisor um, and basically was running the department hand in hand with him at that time. Um, so this was, I mean, this is me in high school. I mean, I'm going to school in the morning. I'm getting off of school, going straight to work, working till 1 a.m maybe doing homework, probably not, but <laughs> actually let's just say probably not, and then going, waking up and going to school again the next day. Um, but that experience was crucial for me because I had to learn how to interact with adults. Like, not only the guests that came to the hotel, but I had to manage people twice my age who've been working at the same hotel doing the same job for, in some cases, more than double the time that I'd even been alive. Um, so you really learn how to deal with people because of that. Um, 
And to me, that experience was totally, totally invaluable. And um, you know, from there, I moved on. I did go to college for a little bit at University of Iowa, go Hawks. Um, and I worked as a front office supervisor there at a corporate managed Marriott property. Um, you know, that was, that was a good experience, but I knew that I wanted to play with the big dog, so to speak, and, and really get into hotels and dive in. So I dropped out of school, moved to Chicago, and just took the first job I could get as a housekeeping supervisor at Embassy Suites downtown. Um, that experience was super interesting for me. I mean, I was just turned 19 at the time, and I was managing a team of 65 room attendants, laundry attendants, public areas, housemen. Just tough job, to say the least. Managing the team. When you're in front office, you are managing the guest expectation. That's who you're dealing with. When you're in housekeeping, when you're in back of house, I've never worked in culinary, but I can imagine kitchen as well. Any back of house job, you are managing your team. That's your guest. And the same skills apply. You have to be empathetic. You have to be flexible. You have to be understanding. And you just, more importantly, have to listen and be open-minded to your team, just like you would when resolving a guest issue. I found myself in, I don't want to say arguments, but like disagreements with my housekeeping teams. And the, I just realized one day, I was like, I'm using the same exact skills from front office when dealing with a guest that's yelling at me as I am dealing with a room attendant when I tell her to go back and vacuum under the ottoman because she didn't do it, you know? So I, I, that experience was, was, again, all of my experiences were crucial, but that one really, really kind of drew that connection for me that the skills are transcendental. It doesn't matter the experience. I'd never worked in housekeeping before, but I figured it out and I survived only because all I had to rely on was my soft skills. So moving on from there, you know, I was eventually recruited by my first boss who hired me at Indian Lakes at 17 with no experience to be uh, basically his right hand as an assistant front office manager at a 310 room boutique hotel in Chicago called The Wiz. Has a beautiful rooftop bar um, and I'm proud to say there we basically crushed that hotel. We had the most profitable year that the hotel's ever had we won multiple Hilton awards for service, quality assurance, and overall experience. Um, and we really, really built a service-driven and results-driven team. And the only reason we did that was not because we, you know, not because we trained them how to check people in, not because we you know, knew how to manage our sellout efficiency, which we did, but that's not why we, we were so successful. The reason is because we built a team of people who trusted one another. 
you know, you look out for the people beside you and the results will speak for themselves. Like if, if you don't consider yourself to be a leader or you think you're not, you're not sure, you're not confident in, in your abilities um, in a certain field, maybe you've never worked in a hotel or a restaurant before, just when you finally do it, just make sure you get to know your coworkers, and just make sure that you listen to people and you're always absorbing information and social cues from those around you because ultimately that is what will make the difference. Like you can learn how to, you know, cook a steak medium well, or we're never going to do that. Sorry, we're going to cook a steak medium rare. But you can learn how to do that, you can learn how to check something in, you can learn how to make a bed. But honestly, anybody can do that. Like, we have to be real about what kind of people we are here. This isn't brain surgery, this isn't rocket science. Like, what we're doing really, I don't want to say it's not that hard because it's very difficult, but it's not difficult because it's hard to check somebody in. It's difficult because the only way to get things done is getting things done through people. And that is the key difference that we as hospitality people face versus other industries. Um, so just really, really keep that in mind moving forward in your careers that it's all about the people. We are hospitality after all. This is about the team, this is about the guests, and it's about you and being self-aware. So anyway, I was at the WIT, um, and we had our, like I said, most profitable year ever, won awards, really just killed it. And you know, I wasn't really looking to go anywhere, but I figured if I stayed, there's really no way realistically that we will top what we did. And a resume tip for you guys, always have quantifiable data. So I didn't want my year-over-year -year, like service scores and year-over-year -year revenues on my resume to decline or to look like there was a negative trend um, toward like if I had kept staying. So, you know, after we really killed that year, I said I'm open to new opportunities. Um, was brought on at the Drake from there and I've learned a lot of things at the Drake Hotel. So, you know, Kyle, can I, can I stop you for a second? Yes. I have a question. Yes. So forgive me, guys, but so in, in hearing what you're saying, so you worked at the Embassy Suites, mm -hmm. uh, first hospitality room? Uh, Crestline. Crestline. Then you went to the WIT. That's right. First hospitality. Uh, so originally opened by First Hospitality, okay. the owner made his own management company ah. called Smash Hotels. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So ben Miller. Did you work with Ben Miller? I did, yeah. yeah. He's the director of finance at the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Smash Hotels and then, okay, so so now you're, you're, and if you could just take a minute to explain to the students um, that, that ownership and that change and, sure. and all the same brand or portfolio of brands, but different ownership. Absolutely. I think, like, because a common misconception among guests and I think just among, among the general public is that 
when you stay at a hotel that says Hilton on it, Hilton is the one who's developed, built the hotel, is the one who invests money in renovations and projects, and is the one managing the property. And that is simply not the case. I would say the majority of properties that you have stayed at that have a brand on them, not one dollar of that brand's money has been funneled into that property. Um, I know you had touched on franchising in your last lecture. That's exactly what this concept is. A, it can work in different ways. So sometimes a single owner or a group of owners or a real estate investment company will develop a hotel and then hire a third party management company to manage that property so they don't have to deal with the burden of staffing, managing the day-to-day -day operations, things along those lines. So they hire the manager company and they also franchise the brand from Hilton or from Marriott or Hyatt or whatever the case might be. Um, so with that in mind, depending on the ownership, management, brand structuring, there can be some uh, challenges associated with that. Sometimes, you know, I, you may have always wondered, like, why do I go to one Hilton property and it seems like it's managed well, it's staffed well, you know, the product is in good condition, and then you go across the street to another property and it seems dilapidated, understaffed, mismanaged, because Hilton has nothing to do with it, really. They're just there to, and I've said this before, brands have gotten out of the hotel industry a long time ago. They're in the fee charging industry now. They just charge fees. Like Hilton doesn't really own many hotels anymore. The Drake, for example, is my first Hilton corporate managed property. In the past, I worked for Smash Hotels, Crestline, First Hospitality Group, um, so on and so forth. This is the first Hilton corporate managed property I've worked for. And Hilton, again, still does not put a dollar of money into the Drake Hotel. It's owned by, and this is probably the most complex ownership in a management dichotomy I've ever seen. There's people who own the land, which is a family who's owned the land that the hotel sits on for decades. There's a real estate uh, investment company that owns the actual property, and then there's Hilton. So getting anything done can be a challenge for sure, just because of that dichotomy. So you guys gotta just keep that in mind. Um, when applying for hotels, I think that's always something good to ask is, you know, who owns this property um, and, and kind of what the that structure is because it will impact your experience as an employee. It will impact the guest experience. Um, hope, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does, but I have like five more. Sure. <laughs> See, now like he's talking and I'm like, I gotta ask more questions. Um, so that's so interesting about the land and the building. So, so does the REIT pay the family for the land? Do you know how that, you probably, I mean, it's probably, yeah, I don't even it's, know how that um, would work. It's, it's on the P&L as a lease. Okay. So like there's a monthly payment that is 
coming out of the hotel budget every month for the land lease. I can't even imagine how much that land is worth on Lakeshore Drive. Well, and the thing is, that hotel is a historic landmark, so whether or not they would get more money from keeping the hotel there or not is not really their choice anymore. As a National Historic Landmark, you can't build on top of it and you can't tear it down. So um, that's, Fascinating. that's part of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Okay, thank you. Yes, sure. you did answer my question, but I appreciate it. Do you have any more? Um, I <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they know me now. Sure. Yeah, I definitely will. But. At this point, does anybody else have any questions? <laughs> All right, I saw your hand go up. Yeah, okay, that's not even one of my questions that I did as you was talking. You, when you said you was on an MC Suites mm -hmm. in, the, in the housekeeping department, um, do you think that part of the reason why it was kind of like a, a challenge, I know for sure the housekeeping section is like, you know how they say it's not the heart of the house, like the front, it's like the heart of the house because if the housekeeping isn't done right, basically that's where your money is coming from, the stores and everything else, because of those rooms, like the biggest part. So doing that part, you say you managed 65 um, ladies, or uh, whatever, just from the housekeeping. I don't know if that was including the housemates too. That would be including so every six, hourly associate. Okay, so 65 people. Doing that, you would say you were 19. Do you think that probably, probably was part of your problem, like having with the employees, because they've said it before, something like double your age already. They're looking at you as like, oh, this could be one of my kids, or so they don't have to respect you as much. You see what I'm trying to say? Or they're not giving you as much respect, and you have to like basically force it out of them, because of course you're the manager, and you have to do, you know, what your management says. But when you say you sent the lady back to do the vacuum, you know how, um, I don't really have to listen to him because of his age, or, they're looking down on you, even though you have this status, and it's not your fault, sure. you know. But you, you get what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, absolutely. You, I think you know what? Before Kyle, before you answer, can you want to tell them what you do? Oh yeah, I work at the Fairmont Hotel. I'm a um, room attendant myself, and I see it all the time. The Fairmont Millennium Park. Yeah, it's only one, you know, one in Illinois. So yeah. No shit, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I've been there for 15 years. Okay, cool. And of course, I'm trying to move through my my way up. So. It just was interesting when you said that, like, because I see it all the time. We have younger, you know, management, and I'm not, like, 90, probably 95% of the women I work with in my department is older than me. Yeah. So I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't have to tell some women, like, oh, that's his position or that's her position. You have to respect that. But But that's the thing. And, and I, I have heard that. Like, and I love that question. my kid or... He's just a kid. They have a kid, and they're like, well, it's not his fault. And like, this is exactly how I go back and forth, you know, whatever. But, yeah. And I've gotten that before, too. Yeah. But I love that question because that's the thing. You don't flex the man. Sorry, everybody. The video cut off at that point during the uh, lecture. Um, but ultimately, what I was going for was in being in a managerial position, being in an authority position, especially at a young age, but regardless, you can't flex the manager card because it doesn't work. Um, people who've been cleaning rooms or opening doors for 15, 20, 30 years at some properties have seen 15 or 20 managers come in and out and they know that 
that job just isn't rocket science. They know that in six months or a year, that manager is going to be moving on to another opportunity. Um, so simply by coming in and saying, I'm the manager, you have to respect me, you have to listen to what I'm saying, that simply will not garner the respect of your team. What will, however, is listening to them, uh, treating them with respect and empathy, and uh, ultimately using those soft skills that will come back to time and time again during this conversation. Okay, next And question. I know somebody over here, yeah, you were raising your hand. Okay, I have uh, two questions, actually. Yes, ma'am. Uh, so one, Professor Leone mentioned uh, at the beginning of this uh, that you manage both union and non-union employees, and how does that affect your day-to-day -day operations, and what's the significance of that? And secondly, I know that Drake's a huge um, historical property, uh, and in our textbook we were talking a lot about uh, some of the current trends, in particular um, in switching to environmentally threatening uses throughout the hotel. Obviously, there's a lot of bureaucracy and whatnot uh, with having a historical hotel that needs to be to code. Um, how does that affect, like, how do you stay relevant and compete with other hotels in your area in that regard? Gotcha. So let's start with the union, non-union question. Honestly, like, that really does make a huge difference in how you operate your hotel. Um, the WIT, for example, I mentioned we crushed our revenues, crushed our scores, at best year ever. That hotel is, for the most part, non-union for the exception of the engineering department, um, which makes it a lot easier. Um, and also, again, to your point, good for development for employees because in a non-union environment, you can cross-train. You can go to somebody else's department and sit with them and, and see what they're doing. In a union environment, you everybody has a specified role that is belongs to them and nobody else um, to tell you a story I was on task force at a 1200 room property in San Diego um, managing their front office and um, I mean 1200 rooms is a lot and you know that if there's a line it's going to be a big one at the front desk and I remember looking, I was sitting in the back office, I looked at the cameras, I'm like, oh my God, this is the biggest line I've ever seen. And this was a union property, so you have people who take 15 minute breaks that they have to get done, like two 15 minute breaks and a 30 minute break, and it's just like, in a non-union property, you can be like, no, you're going, <laughs> you're just gonna do it, you're gonna be out there at the front desk, it doesn't matter. So you have people on break, not enough staff, huge line, so I'm like, boom, I'm going out to the front desk to help out get these people checked in and um, even as a task force manager for which for those of you who don't know what that means it means that I was brought in temporarily to fill a role in the absence of that role being filled by a permanent member of the team um, and so even as an as a manager who wasn't even employed by that property the front desk agents had actually collected uh, the dates and times of every single time that I was out at the front desk helping out and send that to their union representative because if you are a manager and you're doing an hourly associates task, that is, yeah, I mean, and you would probably know that better than anybody in this room at a, what is it, 650 rooms? Like, I mean. Yeah, 692, yeah, so it's about six, eight, seven hours a week, you know, get a few moderations. 
I mean, and what was your name again? Elizabeth. Elizabeth? Yeah. Perfect. So Elizabeth works at a nearly 700 room historic unionized property, and especially housekeeping. Like, hers, you have a section, right? Yeah. Your section is your section. You're not letting anybody come into your no. section. You can't get bad unless somebody got Exactly, exactly. Because you know why that is? Because Elizabeth, she needs to, you know, have hours. She needs to feed her family. And like, if anybody could just go and do her job, that would mean that her job isn't really hers. And I, in the eyes of the union, of course. Um, so it, it does pose a challenge because you really learn to manage the the guest expectation when in a union environment because you can't under, expect the guests to understand what's going on behind the curtain. They should not know that it's a union property. They shouldn't know that the reason their room isn't ready is because we can't send anybody to help that room attendant because that's her room and that's her section. Or if guests want rooms all on the same floor and they're like, why the hell are my rooms ready? Well, it's the same person cleaning all those rooms and that's not gonna change. But we have to manage that guest expectation no matter what. And um, so kind of doing both, juggling that, is, is certainly a challenge in hotels. Now, I think something that, and this is hard in a place like the Fairmont or the Drake where you have years and years of kind of a culture established. However, at newer properties that are opening up, you can, you can kind of, and that are even unionized, you can manipulate that to your advantage as a hotel manager by starting out the property that's being opened by having managers help out in, in all places. If that's always been done from the moment the hotel opened, then there's no grievance because it's always been there. It's always, if the managers are always in the lobby helping out with luggage, uh, you know, opening doors, uh, the housekeeping managers can strip rooms from time to time, That's and they start doing that, you can take a new property and really manage the union appropriately by taking advantage of past practice. So there's that. And then your second question was relevancy with an older hotel, kind of staying competitive, correct? Yeah, especially like uh, as we update to more environmentally friendly uses and whatnot, like, uh, does that have any It does. It does. Because it gets to a point where, you know, when you're 100 years old, the millions and millions of dollars that you have to invest in your property, if you do have them, most of the time have to go to critical components to the structural integrity of the hotel or the kind of just functioning like plumbing and, and stuff like that. Whereas if you're at a newer property where you're skeleton is in good shape, you replace all the carpet in your hallways, you you know replace the wallpaper, you get new furniture in the lobby. So the challenge is that the money that you, the limited finite amount of money that you have to run this hotel and to invest in uh, capital projects are being used for things that the guests will never see or never know about. Um, so I think that certainly does pose a challenge in kind of keeping the hotel relevant to the needs of the modern traveler. 
Um, and I think, you know, today's hot topic from Professor Leone ties perfectly into, into really what the trends of the hotel industry are. And actually, it's really ironic that you said that because I'm actually happy to announce that I've, as of two days ago, accepted a department head position at that property. Are you kidding? Seriously. <laughs> So I will be running the front office as a department head, their first ever front office department head. When the hotel opened a year ago, they did not have one. So I'll be coming in, creating that position from the ground up, managing the entirely 100% unionized team um, of the first triple branded hotel connected to North America's largest convention center, which is McCormick Place in Chicago. So I'm super excited for that opportunity and I think the decision to leave the Drake to take on that role really comes down to the fact that I want to be on the cutting edge of what is new in hotels and what is coming. The Drake is a beautiful hotel. It's amazing. It offers a lot to its guests. I've learned a lot there, but ultimately developers are not building 2,000 room hotels anymore. They're just not because there's no need for it. You know, it, it's just, it, people aren't building giant brick castles that people can stay in anymore. It's just not a thing. When you go to a hotel as a guest, you don't want to stand in line for 20 minutes because the hotel is huge and is understaffed because of labor management standards and stuff like that and just different corporate policies. You don't want to go to a room where you can't control your air conditioning or, you know, your or you can't get a snack at a sundry shop in the lobby because it's tacky and you have to walk two blocks at two in the morning to 7-Eleven around a bunch of homeless people. You don't want to do that. So, like the Hilton's and McCormick plays these select service, which I think now there's really blurring the lines between full service and select service, which I don't know if you guys touched on that kind of difference in class yet. Um, <laughs> We, we talk about it at length in a front office class, sure. which a lot of these students, I think there's several. How many of you guys in the front office class right now? And then a lot of the other students in the class will take it in the future. So we do talk about the transition from limited service to select service, those blurred lines. And we also talk about uh, all of the new, uh, the, the soft brands that are going into the and all of the new hotels that are being built in the city and what that's doing surplus, size of those hotels, the boutique, everything. Gotcha. Changes. Yeah, it's really like, I think right now we're not seeing, again, nobody's building big box hotels because nobody wants to stay there. Not that nobody wants to stay there, people do, there's still demand, at least right now, but what we're seeing now is a resurgence of your traditionally like select service hotels like again like using the Hilton's at McCormick Place for an example Hampton Inn, Home 2, Hilton Garden Inn these aren't your grandma's hotels anymore like this property for example has a rooftop bar on top of it a unique food and beverage concept that's you know engaging elegant you don't see that at like your standard Hampton Inn or whatever. That's that's completely unheard of up until now. 
you, the, the industry is going in a way that's where the fundamentals are done right, because that's really all that people want. Clean rooms, friendly service, you know, quick, efficient, that's what people want. People just don't want to be bothered anymore. And, and that's where that's where we're going with this. Like this is the future of hotels is gonna be kind of quasi service properties where you don't it's maybe a select service brand, but you have a unique food and beverage concept and you know maybe they have valet parking, like just different amenities that you would typically see at a full service property are, are now going to be kind of integrated into your select service brands, giving you basically your rate's going to be better for it and everything's going to be done right and you trust it. It's brands that people trust and that's the thing with large distribution. Again, I know you guys talked about to flag or not to flag. Like with these hotels, your, for your owners, they're getting huge distribution with loyalty programs and and just brand recognition. Um, but then again, you're also seeing uh, you know in urban markets like Chicago, boutique hotels that are really really coming up um, that offer experiences that brands just typically don't offer. Um, you know, such as there's a hotel Chicago Athletic Association downtown. Every single room is different. Every single room is a different design completely. Like, that's crazy, right? Like, most hotels, it's cookie cutter. Every room has same design, same furnishings, whatever. You can go to that hotel 200 times and have a completely different experience each and every time you go there because each room is completely different. Now, what I think is genius is that brands such as Hilton and Marriott have developed their own sub-brands to support boutique hotels that offer the benefits of distribution and and the uh, loyalty programs um, but also offer those unique experience like a uh, the autograph collection by Marriott has a lot of boutique properties curio collection by Hilton does the exact same thing um, and I truly think that's where hotels are going. That's what's relevant now. <coughs> Travelers want fundamentals done right. Bottom line. <coughs> yes, sir. This kind of expands on what you're talking about as far as the trends in hotels. Uh, my question is here. Um, you know, you're currently at Detroit, which is a full service hotel. And those that you worked at, you know, you get the width of the boutique hotel and airport hotel, a uh, conference convention hotel, and the resorts. So of all these different types. What specifically did you like and dislike about working in those different types of topics? Yeah, each hotel and each like like market kind of that services is a completely different hotel experience as a manager and as an employee. And um, honestly, I think my favorite hotel experience has been the boutique. Um, and I, I ultimately that's that's truly because at least in that environment that I was in there was no such thing as a recurring issue that didn't get resolved because as a management team we listened to our guests we 
analyzed trends that we were seeing with issues and we addressed it because we wanted to stay relevant. If you have repeated issues at your property, which every property, like for those of you who have worked in hotels, you have like your stock like complaints that you get over and over and over again at every property, whether it's air conditioning not working, you know, plumbing issues like a clogged drain or, um, you know, the rooms are dated, whatever, you get those at every property and it's very unique to each one. Um, and I think that the way that management responds to those issues and addresses them will make or break a, prof a property that is successful and or barely staying above water and kind of just existing. Um, boutique hotels, my personal favorite. Um, I also enjoyed the airport hotel as well, um, just because there's always a lot of staff because, you know, sometimes the challenge you have is justifying having staff on duty at, a diff at different off hours because of business demands. But at an airport hotel, there's people checking in and out at all times of the day and night. Um, sometimes we even double dip rooms and occupy them twice in the same night and that room is charged for two room nights in one room because of that. So. Yeah, that's cool too. So you know, I like Kyle, that. Kyle, if I can, if I can add, you know, it's funny when you ask that question. I'm thinking to myself because I too have worked in like an airport hotel, a upscale downtown urban hotel like the Drake, um, a convention hotel, a small corporate hotel. You know, I've worked at, and and when when you said, what is your lead? What is your most favorite? You said boutique, and I was kind of thinking the same thing. And then you said airport, and I actually said the exact opposite. <laughs> that that was my least. Oh, favorite. you didn't like airport. That was my least favorite experience because, in an airport property, and we were the closest to Washington Reagan Airport, we would get uh, vouchers from planes that were, and we'd have a line at 11 o'clock at night that was 50 deep. And we didn't have reservations and checking that line in from a traveler who's been displaced, who isn't where they want to be, and they're angry and they're tired. And we have two people, and I just worked like a 12-hour shift, and I'm exhausted, and I have to project hospitality, and I have to be kind, and I have to be good, and that line's growing. I'm having PTSD right now. PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um, Oh, pleasure. Yes. yes. Um, you answered my first question. I was going to ask what task force, front office task force is. Sure. However, I want to understand to know how do you keep your employees motivated? Because last year I did my protocols in a five star hotel. And in a period of two months, eight people resigned, including um, the operations manager and two receptionists as well. So at reception, we know um, most, it, it's, it's a place where most guests complain, it's that front um, office. How do you keep your, your employees motivated at all times at the reception? And, you know, Kyle, before you answer that, can you tell Kyle where you're from? I'm from South Africa. Again, 
Oh, did you? Yeah, she actually messaged me on LinkedIn. Oh, perfect, perfect. Yeah. Okay. I, w I just wanted you to be aware of, you know, she's one of our international students and where she's from as she explains her scenario. Yeah, so um, I think, like, keeping employees motivated, especially at the front office, means that you really, as a manager, again, going back to the essence of hospitality, you're really there to serve your team just like you are to serve your guests. Like, you really have to care for your team and, like, be empathetic to the fact that, like, yeah, you're in the office as a manager probably most of the time. They're the ones out there getting yelled at, you know? So I think ultimately, again, being empathetic, listening, finding out who they are as people outside of work, um, and constantly, like, checking in on them, like, Oh, so, you know, did your kids get registered for school or like, you know, stuff like that really means a lot to the team. And, you know, something that, you know, that I've done, like, depending on who the employee is, like, each person has a different thing that kind of resets them and keeps them good. Like, sometimes I have employees who will go out for cigarettes. I will join them because we're going to, you know, shoot the shit, we're going to talk, we're going to get it all out there outside, we're going to take a break. You know, I have employees that, you know, they just want to, like, have a snack during their shift. So sometimes I'll give them some food, bring it up. Hey, why don't you come back and eat? I'm going to go wash the desk for a little bit. You just have to just be constantly aware of the fact that your team is just getting hit with everything. The front office is the central nervous system of the hotel. And everything comes through front office. And I think, like that kind of pressure is tough on people. No matter how good you are, no matter how strong you are, it does take its toll on you. And I think that's really the best way, just knowing your team as individuals and being aware of everything that they're going through at all times. Uh, yes, you, yellow shirt. Sorry, I can't hear you. So basically her question was, is there, like, tell me about a time that you've had a reasonable complaint or an unreasonable complaint, and how do you handle a guest when they come to you with something that's unreasonable? Um, and, of course, that goes against everything that we as hospitality professionals believe in because every person who has an issue is a valid issue. And I think... That question, honestly, my first response is that I don't believe that there's any such thing as an unreasonable complaint or unreasonable objection because who are we to judge somebody else's concern? Like, again, I was mentioning that there's different complaints that you'll receive kind of at each property that kind of have a trend of recurring. If somebody's, if you've heard that the air conditioning in that room is broken 800 times and you think that if you hear that one more time you might just blow up and then somebody comes down and tells you that that's the first time that guest is experiencing this you have no idea where people are coming from what their circumstances are some people save up for years to be able to take this one trip with their family and they choose to stay at your property that's an honor that somebody would choose to stay at your hotel. 
we have to respect that and whatever concern that somebody has has to be addressed as a valid and reasonable concern each and every time even if you just you know I'm not gonna lie and say that you're not gonna get jaded or that it's you know every day is gonna be you know unicorns and rainbows but you have to pretend like it is and you have to just constantly remind yourself why people are there some people don't want to be there. You have the family who saved up for two years to stay at your hotel. Some people are ripped away from their families because they're on business trips. They don't want to be there. They are just constantly bounced around. They don't feel like they have any permanence. Their relationships are home or strained. They don't want to be at your hotel. And the last thing they want is to go up to their room and have their and stand in six inches of water when they're taking a, a shower because your, your tub is clogged. And you might think it's ridiculous, but to them it's like every single person comes to your place for a reason and you just have to just host them with, with elegance and you have to treat them like they're your family when they're staying and no concern is unreasonable. I mean, as far as an example, I mean, I've gotten so many complaints, I don't even know where to start, to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, really ultimately, like, I kind of treat guest complaints as like a game almost. Like, somebody comes to me with a complaint, and they're so upset, and I'm like, alright, now in my head I'm like, how can I talk them off the ledge, so to speak? Like, this guest is so upset, how cool would it be if I could really just calm them down and resolve their issue for them? Um, so I treat it like a game. I think it's fun to resolve guest <coughs> issues. Um, I know like that's kind of a weird thing to say, but um, just really being empathetic and like Hilton actually has something called the heart model, which I think like literally is brilliant and it works every time. Guest comes to you with a complaint. H, hear the guest out. So you listen to what they're saying, do not interrupt them, just listen, nod, reassuring them, you know, smile, whatever, just be open. Empathize with the guest. Oh my gosh, wow, like I could only imagine if I had traveled all day to come to a room and found a hair on my pillowcase, I'd be horrified. I'm, you know, wow, like you empathize with them. Um, you apologize to the guests. I am genuinely sorry that this happened to you. Genuine, true apology and you actually have to mean it because again, people will see through people who aren't genuine. And that's what makes the difference between resolving it and just kind of a half-assed, you know, kind of uh, resolution. So you hear the guest out, you empathize, you apologize, you resolve the issue. Allow me to send a member of my housekeeping team to, um, to refresh the linens for you or I can offer you a room move. And then you thank the guest. Thank you so much for allowing us to have the opportunity to resolve this for you. And thank you for staying at our hotel. If you do that each and every time with some sort of variation, you make it your own, you have your own flair, your own style that's unique and genuine to you, you, and this goes any, anything in life, anybody's upset with you, you use that, game over, it's done. Like you've 
calm that person down because who can be mad at you if you smile, you're genuine, you apologize, you empathize, and you resolve it. It's, it's that simple. Again, all down to the soft skills. And was there, did you have your hand? Somebody, yes, yes, ma'am. That is a wonderful question. I think that you're absolutely right. I think when you have a history and you have an esteemed guest who have stayed with you, it certainly does raise the expectation, certainly. Um, you know, again, I mentioned the Drake and the complex ownership and how millions of dollars have to go to things that guests never see. So we do sometimes, because it's a hundred year old hotel, we get like, oh my gosh, it's a little dated, you know, in my room or, you know, there's certain condition issues because of that. And, you know, sometimes I've had this, people have said this to me before, oh, this is supposed to be the Drake, Princess Diana has stayed here. And it's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and there's, there's certainly things that are inexcusable from, from a guest point of view, like, you know, dusty rooms. The hotel's 100 years old, so you can't dust fast enough. And I'm sure you understand that. Like, you literally will dust and then you turn around and there's, there's dust again. Like, how does that even happen? Um, so there's definitely, like, those kind of challenges that come with it being old and, and having guests stay there. But again, it comes down to managing the guest expectation. You all will all find yourselves in positions that you have to apologize and justify for things that you don't even understand. Like, when you're in hospitality, you have to do things that you were never trained to do, never thought you would ever have to do, and you're put in situations that challenge you on a daily basis. So, again, like, I don't know why the, the room keeps getting dusty. Like, it's just old, you know? What can I say? 